0: This week's episode of the Berman Hour Podcast is brought to you by Hello Productions, the ultimate all-inclusive live concert video production service. Now, yes, live streaming concerts is a relatively new thing, but the team at Hello Productions have been doing this line of work for decades. So when you do a show with Hello Productions, you're going to have the best lighting, the best sound, the best design, the best videography. So if you're on the fence about it, don't hesitate. Go to H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V dot Also... We have New Wave Flow State Coffee sponsoring the podcast this week. Flow State Coffee is organic ground coffee with L-theanine and raw cacao that is meant to lower anxiety, improve brain function, and support creativity. Go to n-o-o-w-a-v-e dot c-o slash b-e-r-m-a-n and get 10% off your order of New Wave Flow State Coffee. All right, let's get it. Yes. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour Podcast. Every little bit helps. My guest this week is Guillaume. It took me a long time to say that, right? Because I am not a Francophone. I am the farthest thing from it. I cannot command that language to save my life. But Guillaume is an artist, a singer-songwriter, based in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. We talk about his upbringing in a very small town in northern Quebec. We talk about his transition from singing in English, which is not his native tongue, to singing in French, his native tongue, and what that meant for his career, the risks and rewards for doing that. We also talk about Pooza Fest and a whole lot more. A really fun conversation with someone who I've only met in passing, very briefly, so it was nice to sit down and talk with Guillaume. Guillaume has a new record out, La Père Maybe I said that right, maybe I didn't. But for everyone that's going to be tuning in that does speak French, I apologize preemptively for what you may hear mispronounced during this podcast. Either way, let's get to it. My wonderful conversation with my friend Guillaume, all the way up in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Enjoy the podcast
1: interview. Where, where Montreal. Yeah, I'm in Montreal right now. Just moved into to a new apartment in a really I, nice neighborhood. I'm, I'm a I'm, a, I'm a lucky. I'm a lucky guy right now. I feel like. Uh, what neighborhood are you in? It's called Plateau. It's like. Uh,
0: I said that like I fucking know. I, I yeah, yeah, I'm a it, poser. Well, I don't know Montreal that well. Yeah.
1: Have you ever played a show in Montreal? Yeah, I played Pooza
0: a few times, and then I played.
1: Okay. Do you, do you tw- remember what else. year?
0: Uh, I played in 2013. I think I played 25th. I don't remember. Do, do
1: Do you remember the venue? Cause that like.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, I played outside at the catacombs. Oh, the catacombs. Okay, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. There was yeah. like a barbecue, and I played mm-hmm. solo with Greg. Uh, yeah. Greg, I'm gonna mispronounce his last name too. He's gonna La-Gangier? be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Tattoo Greg. <laughs> yeah, Tattoo Greg. He's a good friend. Oh, yeah, I love him. I love him. So how far are you from his shop then, his tattoo shop?
1: Uh well, he's now he moved to uh he's in Toronto now, but uh <sighs> I'm like a, I'm like a 20-minute walk from basically uh and an, like probably 15-minute walk from his shop and a 20-minute walk from all the Poudre venues. So like I'm I'm very I'm in a cool place now. So it's cool. That's nice. How
0: long have you been in Montreal?
1: Mm. I've been in Montreal for ten years now, and yeah, it's it's been fun. I'm I'm from a small, very small town, Eastern Quebec. It's a six hour drive from Montreal.
0: I looked it it's, up on a map when because you mentioned it in yeah. the liner notes of one of your songs, R- Rimouski, Rimouski, Rimouski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's it's, it like uh, there?
1: Oh, it's 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 great. It's uh, it's so far away from like a because it's it's like the biggest city east of Quebec City. Mm-hmm. But it's there's like fifty, fifty thousand people living there. Okay, and it's it's all everything's in French there, and uh, I I spent the first nineteen years of my life there, and uh, I don't know. There's something there's something cool about growing up in the, in a small town, and uh, <laughs> I, I I like it. Every time I go back there, I'm like, oh, maybe someday I'll move back there, maybe.
0: Maybe. Well, that's what I did. I, I'm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, at the moment, and I. Uh, yeah,
1: that's because uh, you lived in uh, in in L.A. for a while, right?
0: Yeah, I was there for twelve years.
1: Yeah. Okay. but you're so, originally from Pennsylvania.
0: I was originally from Pennsylvania. I left at eighteen. As soon as I graduated, I was out, and then I was in Washington D.C., New York City, and Los Angeles for twenty years, and now I'm back in Lancaster. Ooh. So How in 20 years I need to figure out what I'm going to do in 20 years from now. Oh. I don't know. So, I'm thinking Vegas. That's 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 the plan.
1: Really? I wouldn't I would <laughs> I don't know a lot about Vegas, but I I think Vegas is kind of a weird place to live in. It's like
0: It's one of those places it it really became kind of a second home to me in LA. Really? Because, yeah, it has a good music scene, it has a good punk scene, a good art scene, and it's affordable. And I, something I noticed when I lived in Venice Beach in Los Angeles was that if you're in the hub of what is generally a tourist trap where everything sucks, if you're a tourist, if you have a safe space amidst that chaos, it's actually a really fun place to live. Like if you have a, I had a really great little apartment a block from the beach in Venice. And if I was just visiting in Venice and I had to use those public restrooms and eat uh-huh. that food on the boardwalk all the time, it would suck. But I could do that when I wanted to and then go to the beach and then go home to my own bed and yeah. my own shower and, you know, my own refrigerator. So it's okay, I've no, I kind of translated no that to there. Vegas. I don't know if that's
1: yeah. proper, but yeah. And how does it feel to have a winter now? Like, is you. In, in eh,
0: whatever, you know. Yeah? I don't. I don't pay too much attention to that. I, I, I didn't really. I didn't let myself get overly excited once I moved to the West Coast that I wasn't going to have to deal with it. And now that I'm back, I'm just you know, it's like breathing. It's a part of life. Sometimes the air is cleaner than others, you know. (laughs) know. But what made you want to move to uh, to Montreal to make the the jump from the small city
1: to the big city? Well, university was the first thing that made me want to be like. Want wanted me to move out i don't know there's a lot of my friends that went to quebec city because it's closer it's a three-hour sure. drive from uh, my hometown but i wanted to i I, rem- I went to see a few shows in montreal because there, like there's no big bands that came to Rimouski or very very few so uh, i remember like driving to montreal and and uh, um, when i was like 16 17 18 and i was like i love it here it's like there's There's homeless people. There's like, there's big buildings. That's, that's what I want. That's for some reason, that's, there's, there's uh, a, there was something that I liked about the jungle of a quote unquote big city. Uh, Mm -hmm. And now, now that it's been 10 years, I'm so used to Montreal that it's, uh, it's not a big city. When somebody is talking to me about a big city, I'm like, like New York city, like, I don't know, Tokyo, like, but like Montreal is, it's, it's a city. It's not big. Not to me because I know it now. I would say Montreal. Well, it's not
0: as big as New York or Tokyo, but yeah, very few places are. But yeah, you know yeah, that's right. <laughs> it but Montreal has a subway system. You know, what I mean, a good one. Yeah, it's because it's big one. enough to necessitate one. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's it's a big city for sure. So was it more of an academic pursuit that brought you to the big city, or was it an academic pursuit tethered with musical pursuit?
1: I was. I think when I was 19, it was purely acad- academic, I remember that when I moved here, I, I went in psychology first. I started mm-hmm. a bachelor in psychology and, uh, in 2012, there was a big, um, student strike in Quebec. Uh, my, the, my department, the psychology department went in strike on, in February and when we went back to school in September. So we were on strike for six or seven months that I did not go to school, but I was still like, it was still the same semester. So when I went back in September, it was still the same class that I had to do. And we had, anyway, it was like a nightmare. And I remember back then I was like, huh, let's, I'm going to try to play as much music as possible. And with my band back then, I was like, well, if I can't go to school, let's, let's tour. And I remember I booked the last minute tour where we played 15 shows in 30 days in March in Ontario and Quebec. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but (laughs) definitely like the music thing could, like playing music and, and touring around the world was not something that I that I thought was possible with people from my hometown. But in Montreal, I felt like I don't know, there was something that I if I was in Montreal, I had more opportunities to play more shows, meet more people.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing about big cities is that there's the there's more like minded people.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So you can have that common goal. And I I think that makes sense. What was the band you were playing in at that time?
1: When I moved in, like the first band that I had in Montreal, yeah, uh, it was a, it's a band that I had for like nine months. It was called Sack Attack. Okay, and uh, <laughs> it was very uh, childish punk rock. And
0: uh, well, when did you start playing I mean, under your own name, under the the Guillaume moniker?
1: Probably in uh, twenty under like solo acoustic. I started probably in twenty. 12 something like that it was a show in my hometown and and uh the promoter wanted like there's an act that dropped last minute and he said hey guillem do you want to play i'm like i don't have a band right now i'm in between two bands and he was like but you can play guitar you can sing do you want to play solo i was like oh yeah sure and i went on i got very very drunk before my set were you nervous uh yeah 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 definitely nervous uh, and I rambled in between songs. I made a lot of jokes and it made people laugh. And I thought, wow, that's actually very cool. Uh, I even <laughs> st- I I realized that like since there was no band with me, I could just stop in the middle of a song and do whatever I wanted. I, I remember playing a Lawrence Arms cover, and in the middle of the song, I was like, sorry, I forgot the rest of the song, but that's all right because you don't you guys don't know this song, so it's cool. <laughs> and I just stopped the song. And I was like, yeah, cool, I can do that. Um, yeah, there's a leniency, and and you
0: know, yeah. for me, it was a learning curve. So I give you props for picking that up on your first gig, where you can just yeah. <laughs> call the shot, and the audience most likely won't know the difference.
1: Yeah, but that was the first one. It was it was I think December of 2011, and then after this in 2012, I played one show acoustic because it was not something that I was like I don't know. I did not like it all that much. It took me like a lot of years to really appreciate like the solo thing why is that like uh i don't know i just think i i, I grew up a little bit and i felt more quote-unquote uh mature I, I felt like more like it was uh i had like also with the band with lost love like i we were playing a lot of shows and in between songs i did not feel comfortable talking all that much like i i wanted to keep it cut it to the chase and just play Rock music, but when i was like when I was solo, I could just tell stories in between songs, and I thought it was something interesting yeah and and also, like with lost love there were there i think in twenty twenty seventeen our drummer got got a kid, so he could not tour as much as I wanted to, so I've, i I mm-hmm. felt like, oh, might as well start doing solo tours, so that's what I started to do at the same time as doing lost love stuff, I started doing solo stuff and uh thing that i after like a couple of years i realized oh maybe i should record something solo so when i play a solo show like i have some solo uh, like album not just being like hey i'm the guy from lost love and here are the lost love records right
0: (laughs) yeah but you've been pretty prolific because you've you've released a lot of music under the moniker in the past few years yeah i mean you know this past year is such a uh, a mindfuck in terms of the timing of everything but i remember seeing the press when born and bored came out and that yeah. was march the beginning of, of 2020 2020? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and here you are now april of 2021 with a brand new record so yeah. are, have you been on kind of a a, a jump-started process or, or progress of just writing a lot of songs or is this just what you were able to do during this last year of quarantine while we haven't been able to tour. Can you speak a little to that?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I write a lot of songs. Like I, like I always say that I, it could be my job to just write songs and just just to be paid by people who want songs. And like every day I wouldn't mind sitting at a desk and just be like, all right, I'll pick this guitar and I'll, or I'll pick this synth and I'll write you a song. Cause I, I don't know. I feel like I've got, I, I don't know if it sounds cliche or, or, or weird, but like, I got this inspiration to write songs every single day. And it's, it's something that's scary. Cause I'm 28 years old right now. And I'm, I look at people that are older right now and I'm like, do, does that fade away? Cause, cause I, I, I don't like right now, the way I feel is like that. I'm, I have endless inspirations to write songs i don't I don't think of that that often, but I'm thinking like I hope it never goes away because that's that's one of the greatest part of playing music is the writing process to me,
0: yeah, I agree. I'm surprised to hear you say that you're twenty eight because I just turned thirty nine and oh. I went through a phase in my mid to late twenties where I stopped playing. It was all I did from when I was twelve or thirteen years old until I was about twenty and then I stopped I stopped drinking for a long time I stopped playing music in bands I stopped doing solo stuff I stopped writing And the guitar would just sit in the corner of my apartment Almost as if it was it was taunting me Or it was mocking me Or nice. you know calling to me And then, I don't know, around 2008 I started to write again But it still took a little bit of time for me to want to play shows So a long-winded way of saying I think if you have that bug now at 28, it'll probably ebb and flow a little bit, but hopefully you'll have that desire for the rest of your life. That's that's what I hope about me is that if if I'm going to have some lean years, that's okay. But when I feel the urge to write and be prolific, it's like it all kind of cascades and comes at once. And then there's, you know, eight to 10 months where I'm more interested in working on songs than I am in actually writing things, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, right now as we speak, uh, there's a new Lost Love album that's already recorded that will be released at the end of the year, um, oh, wow. in o- in October, and uh, that's actually like that's like I'm I'm really proud of this one. It's it's weird because like usually I don't like to brag all that much about it, but I'm like I listen to it a few times, like uh, once every week. I, I I listen to it again, and I'm like, wow, can't wait to hear people's reactions because it's. It's more punk rock than what we were used to, I guess. It's more uh there's a sense of urgency in that record that I really love. And um uh, and right now I'm writing a second album, second solo album in French. So I'm um, there's tons of stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, well let's
0: let's get into that because yeah. well, first I, I want to ask when did you develop a command for the English language?
1: How old were oh, you? Oh. Uh That's a good question, because I was very young. Okay, so I was, my mom's uh, from France, so she speaks French to me. My dad's from Montreal, he speaks French to me. Like, they're both Francophones. But um, when I was like four or five years old, I was watching TV, I remember watching some TV shows in English, even though I did not understand English at all, I was just like I. It was Power Rangers and stuff like that, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I like what I see. I don't understand, but I, I like it. Um, but then after that, I was always, I always loved music in English. Like when when I started listening to punk bands, it was like Blink, Quantity Two, The Offspring's, and uh, some Forty One bands, bands like these, uh, and and I don't know everything that all music wise I, I my parents never made me listen to any music in french too so i don't know there was there was always um we we traveled a lot when i was a kid every like every summer we went somewhere we and to me english was like some so, some sort of like gate to get to like the rest of the world like it was a door that like you could open and then if you un- and if you understood and you could speak English then you could you have the world in front of you and i thought that was amazing cuz i knew that like with french i could like speak to people in quebec or people in france cuz i was going to france very often but um uh, i don't know there was something about english i was like wow so everybody everybody in the world kind of speaks english and i was like cool let's uh um that's cool. It's so, I, yeah, I, I, that's really yeah. interesting.
0: And it's so weird to hear hear that because from the other side of the mirror, I didn't have that. I, I didn't look at Spanish or German necessarily. I, I kind of do now in 2021. But when I started learning languages in the 90s, I, I didn't think that, oh, this would be an opportunity for me. But now like the opportunities in that are endless. But you started out singing in English. Are all the Lost Love records in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the first few Gillum records that you did. So I listened to the new record. And it's fantastic. It's a lovely record. It's like dream pop, like Weezer meets Swing and Utters meets Culture Abuse. It's really fun and really Thank well you. done. But when culture I was done abuse, with the record, cool. yeah, yeah. When I was done with the record, okay. I went back and listened to Born and Bored. And I could notice a pretty drastic distinction, not in the style of music or the what you were writing, and I don't know if it there was a drastic difference in what you were singing about because I don't understand your your French oh. songs, unfortunately. But the manner in which you were able to deliver, and it was more of, it felt like a, an enhanced record. Are, is that something that you're aware of? And was that kind of a driving force behind wanting to do a record entirely in French for the uh, first time?
1: No. Well, no, it was not one of the reasons, and I don't feel this way all that much the it's different it's two different vibes to me the um, th- the themes that i talk about in board and board and in my new french album La au Ventre, it's totally like two different this it's i don't know it's like to me it's two different things and there's mm-hmm. different themes in each of them uh but i i don't know i don't know that's a, that's a good question um and it's well, been let me reported- ask you this. then yeah. how does
0: it resound with you? Like if you listen back to each of them
1: yeah. and you're
0: able to remove the content about what each songs are about, but just in the dialect and the way that what you're singing about r- literally rolls off your tongue, this new record, maybe because, you know, you're further along into your craft, too, but it just felt like it was a more natural extension of you as a songwriter.
1: Is that fair to say? Probably. Yeah, yeah, well, probably. I don't know. I, At first, I thought it was going to be weird to sing in French. Even if it's my uh, first language, I thought it was going to be weird because I never wrote anything in French. And I don't listen to anything in French. So when I presented the song, the first song that I presented to the label, they said like, huh, it's cool. Your lyrics, they don't sound like you use words that uh, people don't usually use when they when they sing in <laughs> French. And I was like... Well, maybe that's because I don't listen to any, any, uh, Quebec artists or any, any French artists. So that might be it, but there's something like also, also, that's the thing. That's the thing that I noticed, uh, when I sing in English, sometimes there's, um, like most of the time when I sing in English, I don't think of the words that I'm singing. Cause to me, if it became, if it became like, um, something automatic, to sing the songs and it's automatized, well, I will just sing the song and it will just be a, a, a melody just as if my voice was just an instrument. But when mm-hmm. I sing in French, the words are mean more, Mean somehow it means more to me because I like I will think of what I'm saying and I will say I will, of what I'm singing and it feels a bit different. So maybe in the delivery of my voice, it's it sounds different because of that maybe yeah that's i don't know
0: yeah that's interesting it's not so much that it's a um, a drastic departure from your previous releases it was just a noticeable difference that yeah. i found myself attracted to in in a way that i wasn't expecting and uh, that's not something that I experience a whole lot because I don't listen to a whole lot of, of international music or even punk rock or, or folk or you know Americana that's not sung in in English. Mm-hmm. So I can't say, I mean, I feel like maybe Forrest Pookie has some songs in French, but I feel like most yeah. of the songs I know of his too are also in English. But yeah, good for you. Can you tell me a little bit about was it a desire to want to do this in order to work with music mansion records? Cause they're specifically doing French or, or was this more of what you wanted to do?
1: Uh, it was at first, it was not something I wanted to do at all ever to sing in French. And, uh, I was yeah. recording, I was recording born and bored and, uh, Hugo muty who was producing the album, uh, told me like, Hey, uh, take a song that you think could play on the radio. And, uh, just translated the lyric in french and that's what i did and that's the song the first song that we sent to them and they they loved it and they were like hey do you want to sign a contract with us and now i i need to to write two more records for them so yeah. oh, so that shit. and that's and that, that's the thing that's okay so also if if i'm not like if i'm being totally honest the thing is if you sing in french in quebec you there's a way for you to get money uh in in a way that's very substantial like it's um like so far and i'm not gonna say the numbers but like so far i made way more money with this album uh and with the songs that i that played on the radio than i ever did with any of my projects
0: interesting is it kind of like a government subsidy sort of situation so there's there's,
1: gr- there's grants when you go into studio and there's like right different kinds of opportunities but mostly like the um, satellite radio like serious radio it's it's like a lot of money uh i don't know there's not i don't know if you have any songs on, on Sirius. i have yeah and 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 that's that's something i did not know like i did not know it existed before now i'm like whoa they pay a lot of money like if if like if there was a streaming company that would pay even like a, like a decent percentage of what Sirius is paying I, uh, that would be that would change everyone's way of like promoting music and playing music in general i think
0: <laughs> yeah trust me we're we're all kind of hoping that something changes with this <laughs> spotify bullshit because it's it's pretty embarrassing to, to be like working so hard to release music on a platform that is just openly extorting its artists yeah. is just—I mean—such a sickening thing.
1: It's knowing that they make a lot of money. Like, it, if they were not making money, and they would be, they would be like, "Just like, hey guys, we were broke like you guys, so like we cannot." <laughs> well, like knowing that they're like they, they, they generate so much money, it's kind of shitty to them <laughs> to not share a little bit more. But I guess that's uh, the world we live in right now, right? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, it's that's the capitalist system. To me, Spotify exemplifies late stage capitalism, in mean, yeah. in the way that a lot of fossil fuel industry. It's just it's the way that it is. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other morning, where pretty much since the MySpace days, I have been cultivating and nurturing whatever musical platform I have, whatever social media news- musical platform I have. And then that developed into streaming platforms that I have. But I have been cultivating the idea around them, not being for my enjoyment, not even being for the enjoyment of Divided Heaven fans or my audience, but I have been doing it for what I think is best for whatever platform it's on. So mm-hmm. it's almost as if I've, I found myself in this weird... like. Stockholm syndrome where yeah. <laughs> as if I could just walk away from all of it and it wouldn't even make a difference, but I'm somehow stuck in this cycle of having to make what I create and the songs that I put out, put them into this weird figurative glass case display on the internet that mm. well, is just yeah, right now, essentially uh, running me out of business. Uh-huh. And I don't, I I I'm stumped like I'm legitimately stumped because labels care a lot about that but they're not making money off of it either Mm -hmm. so it's it's like a popularity contest that doesn't really make sense whereas the serious radio thing is a little bit more genuine you know it's like it's more like terrestrial radio in that respect
1: yeah it's like if your song whether it's you or Miley Cyrus like your song's gonna you're gonna Generate the same money if the song goes on once, and and that amount of money is a a lot, quote unquote, a lot of money. Because to me, like, if like if you yeah. compare it to Spotify, it's like it's it's insane. But yeah, yeah th- there was there was definitely a, a money aspect to it. Because I, I I don't know, I never thought I would because I'm I'm a teacher, and I would and i never, I never thought about music as something that I could make money with. And I don't I still don't know how comfortable I am with this because uh, I don't know. There's a part of it that I'm like, I don't know, maybe if, if I would do this full time, I would I would think like, all right, I know I need to make money with this. So I, I but there's a part of me that don't want to only do this. I don't know.
0: That's a dilemma. But I think you should shed that skin. Whatever restrictions you might put on yourself yeah. or, or limitations you might put on yourself to think that making money off of pursuing your art is wrong is in mm-hmm. fact not correct that is you should make as much as you can off of the art that you create it took me until i was 35 to be, feel comfortable with that and to make me f- you know to have the cool. balls and the tenacity to tell promoters or labels or whoever like no this is what i'm worth not what you yeah. th- i'm saying what what my worth is and then if they disagree we at least meet in the middle as opposed to you know, kind of going out there and being destitute for the purpose of trying to live up to some f- punk rock ideology that yeah, no sorry, one ever maybe. adheres to anyway you know I know well, you don't seem I convinced I, I don't know
1: no no I can I I want to I want to agree with this but I I'm also seeing some artists uh, become too I I feel like there's a there's a negative side from, from doing this. There's like something that I don't want. There's a trap that I don't want to fall into. If I do this, I don't don't know. I want to, I want to keep it fun. I want to keep it like just for fun. And I want to, whether it's, in two years or in 10 years, I want to keep playing music just for fun. And if I make money, then it's cool. But if I lose, like if not, if I lose money, but if like, if one year I make, I don't know how much money with music in the year after I make less, I don't want to think like, Oh shit, my carrier's going down. Like there's it, something, there's something weird with that, that I'm like, I don't know. I personally, when I, when I talk with my friends right now about like the money that I make with my songs in French, I'm like, Hey, isn't that cool? Like it's it's cool, right? That I make money with this, and my friends are like, "Fuck yeah, that's amazing!" Yeah. Like, and they're <laughs> uh,
0: good, yeah. good. I'm glad you got some good people around you. I was about to come up to Montreal, and yeah. smack some sense into you, <laughs> you with a really good bagel. <laughs>
1: Ooh. What is a uh, what's it like working with Hugo in the production seat? Oh, it's great. It's uh, he's been uh, he's been an older brother to me. He's a funny guy, and he. He helps me because, like, with he produced the two, two lost love records and my two solo full length albums, and uh, every time it's getting better and better because we know each other better, mm-hmm. and he knows how I write songs and he knows just how to tell me like, hey, this part is not good, uh, do this instead, like you're saying this like that you should not say it like that, like he's very good at like taking my songs, playing a game of Tetris with the parts and uh, I, I really like it at first in 20, 2015 when he produced the first uh, Lost Love album that he produced which was Comfortable Scars I uh, was probably not <laughs> not as sure that I of the pro- process of like getting your songs uh, commented by someone else and that person yeah. like, can tell you like hey this song sucks <laughs> But now now i'm very um what's the word i have uh I, I, lear- I, I feel i feel more hum humble hum- humility mm-hmm. i have more humility than uh six years ago which is a good thing i think
0: yeah that's growth that's that's a good thing to have when working with a producer too there's a, a few key themes that i noticed with this record and and i want to see if i can pronounce it here just so my listeners can write me and make fun of me but the record it translated to fear in the belly. Right, but it's la paire avant ventre? La paire au ventre?
1: Yeah, la peur au ventre.
0: La paire au ventre. All right. Fear in the belly. There's themes of fear. There's themes of the future's uncertainty. There's fear, uh, a theme of risk and kind of like personal risk assessment. And it led me to think that maybe some of these songs, lyrically anyway, were written amidst this quarantine and this pandemic of the past year is that the case
1: yeah definitely they they were all written between january 2020 and june
0: 2020
1: oh wow so yeah and um also uh in in english it would translate to gut gut gut-wrenching fear like it's an expression that uh Anyway, it's, it's an expression that nobody uses in Quebec. Uh, it's a French expression. So another funny thing. But uh, yeah, the, the songs were written between January 2020 and June 2020. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of fear. Of also, like I started my teaching job, my teaching career in January 2020. Oh so there's goodness. like, there's a lot of things that like, like I started because i finished my master's degree in december 2019 and i was like all right so now no more school for me now i'm the teacher all right there there was there was also something about my professional life my i didn't i like also i did not know do i want to do i want to stay in montreal if so do i want to stay in montreal all my life do i want to move out someday do, uh there's a lot of questions that i had and uh that's why there's a lot of insecurity in there mm-hmm. it's also my first record in french so i felt a lot insecure about that
0: insecure about delivering it in terms of how you're singing it and how it would sound or more and how it would be received
1: how it would be received because okay. um there's um there, there's a lot of well since i'm not listening to a lot of bands like they're not of french music i'm not of people that sing in french uh, i feel like there's a lot of people around me that don't either and that think it sounds what's the is kitsch a word in english as well mm-hmm. right it's, it's yeah. okay it's probably the english word that we use in french uh, but there's like some people find it kitsch like it's people that sing in french it, for some reason it sounds more uh kitsch uh, so i was scared of that i was scared of like uh, but in the end, I did not it did not stop me to write like kitschy stuff, like uh, I want to be in love with you forever and stuff like that in French, which to me sounds, uh, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Like when I sing it, I'm like, oh my god! All right, I'm singing this, but 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 there's something cool about it too. Like it's like I embrace this thing that I was afraid of. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's cool because it's a timestamp, you know. Yeah. You won't necessarily want to look back on it as the quarantine coronavirus record, right? Mm-hmm. But I think thematically, it's it resounds in a very universal way. In that respect, do you think that the idea of of fear that you seem to be singing about, from what I can grasp, is kind of breaking out of some sense of isolation? Was that something that was kind of rooted in you from being from a smaller town? that wasn't as it wasn't afforded the same musical opportunities as a bigger city. So was there kind of a parallel to that in terms of what it was like for you as a younger person starting to play music and getting into music? And then now here you're about to embark on your proper adulthood. You're out of school and you're about to start working and you're just back into, you know, the isolation booth, so to speak.
1: Definitely. There's the first song is called five years and it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's totally, well, it's called Saint-Canné, so it's in French and it was totally inspired by, by this David Bowie song where uh, I'm not exactly sure what David Bowie is singing about, but I'm singing about uh, how we have five years left to whatever we want to do. And I, and, and yeah, that's kind of a, one of the thing that I thought of, like, where is my life going? What, what, what am I, Where am I going to be in five years?
0: The dreaded five-year plan. Oh man!
1: I talked about this in another podcast, and uh, in French, I was like, "Yeah, it's like a five-year plan thing." And they were like, "I don't. I never heard of that." I was like, "Oh, maybe it's a thing in English that people say like a five-year plan, but in French (laughs) we don't say like the plan cinq ans. We don't say this. Yeah, maybe." maybe
0: Oh, it sounds Um, like it's a dreaded American idiom that's just meant to cause us consternation and send us all to the fucking mm -hmm. psychotherapy couch. Because when we don't meet our goals at the end of those five years, we just end up, you know, losing our hair and losing our minds. So yeah, yeah. for people that don't know what it is, don't teach them. You know, it's like it's like a jinx or a curse. Yeah,
1: I make I make plans. I make yearly plans. I make like I have goals every year that I put myself, and when I don't do them. I don't feel that bad. But when when I achieve my goals, I'm like, fuck yeah. It's cool. Fuck yeah.
0: <laughs> well, some of the standout tracks for me, I I think I have this one uh, beatitude.
1: Yeah, uh beatitude, but I beatitude? think that's a word Fuck. That's a word in English too, right? Beatitude. Cuz I think I tried to translate it at some point and well, just a word and uh I think it's something.
0: I thought it translated to bliss. Is that not right? Oh,
1: yeah, you're right. You're to- totally right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one was
0: a was a really great song. Turtle Bay was, I think, meant to be kind of like the middle of the record, the deep cut, yeah. very slow, very beautiful, kind of a haunting piano. I really liked that. I'm going to butcher this as well, but it was towards the end of the record. Uh, Montagne Russes.
1: Yeah, Montagne Russes. Yeah, it means a roller coaster. Montagne Russes. Yes. Uh, but the words, words, the words means mountain Russian, so like Russian mountains. Uh, but in French, roller coasters, we call them Russian mountains for some reason. I have no idea why. (laughs) I have no, I never, I never thought about it before now. And now I kind of want to know why we call them Russian mountains. But yeah, I kind of like it now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Another one that I really liked was uh, Attack Animal. Oh yeah, that's my least favorite one. That's your least favorite one. That one was very good. And I'm curious what you think about 2020 the construct of social media you just laid out for us that you're contractually obligated to this new record label to do a few more records in french and you're excited and interested in this new endeavor and it's all good but Uh how do you balance the idea of being an artist and a songwriter with being somebody who has to also be a content creator because just writing good songs in 2021 isn't it's not sufficient anymore. Like it in, mm-hmm. you and I both know it involves so much more. And sometimes all that extra stuff is it's, it's like the giant pain in the ass in addition to everything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what your input about that is, because I, you mentioned in English that that's kind of what this song yeah. is about.
1: Yeah. Attack animal means, uh, animal attack. And, uh, <laughs> just fucking weird, but it talks <laughs> about, uh, it talks about social media. I, I struggle with this. I, uh, it's the closest thing that I have to an addiction. I I don't have a, addictions in general, but social me- it's it's dumb as fuck. It's I I realize when I'm on my phone with my girlfriend in our living room watching a movie. I'm watching my I'm looking at my phone, look scrolling down Facebook, and I think, and, and I have this moment of uh, lucidity of like this moment of. This lightning strikes me and I'm like, oh, that's so dumb. And then two seconds later, so I, I put my phone down. And like one minute later, I'm like, all right, picking back. You're back definitely. on it. Yes. I, 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 and it's it's the – I don't know what it's going to take me to – I've been saying like for, for years now, all right, it'd be cool if my cell phone was just like plugged in the wall. And when I need it, like I'm going to use it. I think it's going to take me like some kind of – of like timing restrict. I even have the restriction on my phone like that says like oh your time is up but you can always say like no <laughs> it's not like it doesn't work. I need so more I You so can yeah, tell that's... me what to do I need more. In and yeah. in, and in, in, in attack animal I'm I'm talking about this how like uh like I'm, I'm talking about well how weird it is that nowadays like people well and that's how people connect now. That's how you feel alive and with this pandemic like you can like talk to people interact with people it's crazy and i don't know there's the the, the reason why this song is called uh animal attack is, is because in the last verse i say like hey like um i need to i need to uh spend more less time on my phone i need to like um to stop being always on my phone and but I don't think I'll ever stop so the show, social media game because it's kind of cool to always have facts on the tips of your fingers like and the facts that I'm stating are animal attacks facts and I'm like yeah it's kind it's kind of cool to know like how many bears are like killing humans <laughs> every year or like yeah. I, and it's a, it's a it's um it's something that I mentioned in the second song on the record Nája, and i mentioned in this song that like uh sharks apparently only kill four people every year they're not that dangerous apparently so yeah and i know this because i have a phone and the internet it's crazy
0: interesting
1: interesting but these days a lot of people have internet and we thought it was going to make everyone smarter we were wrong
0: yes I will say, Gilliam, that you answered my question very well, but you answered it very diplomatically as well. Because you talked about your your phone addiction, but I'm curious, I got to drive the point home. Yeah. Because you're a teacher, you have a busy job that requires a lot of time and attention, but you're also in the throes of doing press, talking to yours truly. Moi, a, about your new record, how do you Same. balance out what you feel you need to create for your social media c- content, in addition to just making a great record?
1: I don't, I don't think that much about it. I know that it's important to be on on, on social media for, like, I posted a lot of pictures on, on Instagram <laughs> and and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's just like. Now you can schedule them, so it's cool. You don't have to like. It's fun, but yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like it's a. Uh, you're not so much that...
0: healthier than I am, man. Oh my gosh, you're so. Yeah. Much... Oh
1: well, I was, I was like <laughs> on a different podcast. I was, uh, uh it was with Hugo, and he said, like, do you sometimes, uh, check on Instagram to see who liked your pictures? I'm like, uh, no, like, and he it was like, well, I was like. Well, sometimes probably, but it's not. And he was like, I always do that. Even like there's 200 people, I'm going to scroll down and be like, oh, who's that person? And I was like, what? Okay, okay. It's not that bad. All right.
0: I think Hugo and I have the same issues. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Speaking of, I, I believe that you and I met before very briefly at PUSA, and it was because of your involvement kind of with that Camp. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to the work that you've done with the festival?
1: uh Yeah, I I so I moved in Montreal in 2011, and my f- I think the first puzza like I moved and it was the first Pooja, so yeah, I went there. The second year, so the first day, the first year I went there just as a festival goer, and the second year I started volunteering. I was driving bands. Second year I drove Lawrence Arms, Less Than Jake, Hot Water Music. Uh, the dwarves. I drove like all the big headliners and I was like 20 years old. So I was like very, very impressed with my, with my not so good English back then. I was my, when I was 20, my English was all right. It was not like it is right now. So I I don't know. Uh, But uh, after year, year number three, I, I was also volunteer year number four, volunteer again to do something. I was running a venue, and Pudza Five is when I got uh, more involved because, well, Pudza Three and Four I started booking a little bit. Pudza mm-hmm. Five I got more involved because um, I think was it five or six. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there was a meeting where uh, Hugo and Helen, who were the two, was the two of them who started the festival. They were like, "Hey, uh, we're not going to book another Pudza next year because we're too much in debt. Uh, we're too much in debt." And they were like, like. We're not gonna make it unless there's people that are that want to join in, chip in, and spend some money on on uh and to become like shareholders of the festival. And I was so I was twenty two or twenty-three back then, was I was doing my bachelor in teaching and I didn't I was okay financially because I'm a l- very lucky and fortunate person. But um I did not have like thousands of dollars to put into yeah. a festival, so I the day after but the project was interesting to me so the day after i went to the bank and uh i asked for a student loan (laughs) and i was like yeah see that's my student um inscription thing so i'm i'm studying and i need money for my rent and my food and they were like cool so here's ten thousand dollars there you go <laughs> and then uh i remember signing signing the check and i was like hey now i'm a shareholder of Pozafez that's cool now i guess i gotta make some money to pay that, that, that student loan at some point uh so yeah since since 2016 i think I'm, I'm one of the shareholder it's a great organization it's um nobody does that full-time uh like it's yeah. all we're all part-time doing it and nobody like I think we're ten or twelve people now in the shareholders. In the, That's great. Not.
0: It's like a collective.
1: Yeah, it's a collective, yeah. and and nobody makes um, money or like not that much. Like there's never like there's never enough money at the end of the festival. In the end, and we're always like, all right, whatever. It was it was fun. <laughs> like, yeah, well,
0: it's a great festival, and I hope it rebounds soon. You know, any plans on? What's going to be happening for the next one?
1: Uh well, I think we might do a mini Pooza in twenty twenty-one. So this year in September, mm-hmm. uh, with only Canadian bands, we might do this. It's not.
0: I guess it, not... Be, it right now. It's end of April. It, it would be Pooza time around
1: yeah. now, right? Uh, it, it would be in uh, in three weeks. It's usually mid-May. So oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're plan we're gonna start planning in a few months, I guess, for 2022. But it's- it feels so weird. It's gonna a humble though.
0: brag that I would just like to say, yeah, was that in 2013, Divided Heaven was the only band or act, whatever, that played Fest, Pooza Fest, and Punk Rock Bowling that year.
1: Oh wait, Punk Rock Bowling isn't that like the same weekend or the weekend after?
0: It was the weekend after.
1: Okay. That okay. Year. Yeah, Did I think drive? some years
0: it's been the same, but uh, Fest is obviously usually yeah. around Halloween weekend, so that wasn't conflicting. But yeah, 2013, I, I made it happen that year. Nice. Know? That's so,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll try that again in uh, 2023. We'll see how it goes.
1: You should. Well,
0: thanks for taking the time to talk to me, man. The new record is great. I encourage everyone to, to listen to it. I'm going to try to pronounce it one last time, but I need you to correct me. La paire Avant.
1: That's perfect. Ah. Yeah.
0: I'm going to say that to my wife later. She's going to think it's very sexy. All
1: yeah.
0: right. <laughs> uh, there's my conversation with Guillaume. I'm going to be certainly spinning his record all summer. It has a good summer vibe to it, a good amount of dream pop. It sounds like someone singing in French about California. To me, so I'm sold. Thanks again to our sponsors, Hello TV. Go to hellotv.com, h-e-l-l-o-o-o-t-v.com. If you're an artist or you're a manager and you have a roster of bands and you're on the fence about doing a live stream concert event, Hello TV can answer any questions that you might have. Also, thanks again to New Waves Flow State Coffee, just coffee for creativity. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and get 10% off your order. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Just like it's spelled for the Berman Hour podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I will talk to you next week. Let's get it.